0: Turn, if you would, to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. Last week, we finished off chapter 5. We talked about the fact that we were in Adam. When Adam sinned, we sinned with him. But what that allows is the fact that when Christ died, we were in Christ, and we can receive his righteousness. And we ended... With the last uh, couple of verses, let's see, starting in verse 20 of chapter 5. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we discussed the fact that he talks about sin increasing, so grace increases, so sin increases. The question is, should we keep on sinning so that we will get more grace? And that is the subject of chapter 6. But before we get there, I need to convince us that this is a legitimate question. First off, if you talk to people who are say outside the protestant faith they view it as one of the condemnations of the doctrine of justification by faith alone that it allows you to do anything you want to do i mean just go sin anytime you want god's going to forgive it and sometimes we do fall into that trap sometimes we begin to think what is the old statement it's about easier to get forgiveness than permission just go ahead and sin. God will forgive you later. There is a part of that that is presumption. God has forgiven us in the past. God will continue to forgive us. Therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. And that is the subject of chapter 6. I'm going to do things a little bit different today. I'm actually going to read the entire chapter. It's a very tight Discussion and argument in the chapter to make the point that he's trying to make. Then we will have some uh, comments and some explanation, and then we'll go back and we'll go through it verse by verse. Maybe, but not likely, making it to the end. (laughs) What are the odds of that happening, right? (laughs) Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you... Who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can quit and go home. We did make it to the end of the chapter. This chapter is going to present numerous facts. It is going to present certain things as being true. And it prefaces these by saying, don't you know, and it will list some things that it, are, that it is stating as facts. <coughs> When Christ died, you died with him. Fact. And it will have an explanation of what that means. And then on the basis of those facts, it's going to ask you and me to consider certain things. If this is true, then this is how you ought to live your life. If this is a fact, then here are the implications and here is what you ought to do about it. Now there's a problem. Some of these facts don't appear to be true. That's odd. We have died to sin. Fact or not? Well, we're going to have a discussion in chapter 7 about the continuing presence of sin in our lives. We do keep sinning. There are those who believe we don't. It's called perfectionism. We become Christians, we become perfect. I don't know what world they live in. (laughs) It's not mine. The rest of us, the rest of us continue to struggle with sin, even though the chapter is going to tell us we are dead to sin. The problem is our body, our minds, our life have old habits that were produced when we were not in Christ, and we continue in this life to struggle, but we need to acknowledge the fact that sin no longer has control over us. It's like this. You're 30 years old, and you've been single all your life, and you get married. The day after the wedding, you are married. Fact. Now, those of us who have been married understand the fact that it takes a certain amount of time for you to come to the full implication of what that means. You were 30 years old, you lived for 30 years making your own decisions, and now all of a sudden you have to start making decisions in a new way. You have to consider the other when you're making decisions, when you're making plans. You have to consider the fact, and you have to act as if it were true, because it is true. And there may come a time in your marriage, 10, 20 years down the line, where you wake up one morning and go, am I really married? (laughs) And you know what? You are, whether you feel like it or not, on that particular day. You had a struggle, you had a problem, the worries and cares of this life have just choked out the romance. But you know what? The fact is, you are married. And you have to take those old habits that were developed during your single life and you have to set them aside so the new habits can be formed because of your new status as being Married. The point of this chapter is simply this. When Christ died, we died with him. Since he died to sin, we died to sin, and sin no longer has dominion over us. Does that mean we still sin? Yes. But we don't have to. It's interesting when you think of the fact that An unbeliever, this is my opinion of the matter, the unbeliever cannot not sin. You say, wait a minute, don't they do good things? Yes, we've discussed this before. They do good things, but when they do good things for their own glory, they're not doing them for the glory of God, and it's sin. The unbeliever cannot not sin. The believer can sin, or they can not sin. There will come a time when we arrive in heaven and we are glorified and the last remnant of that sin nature is removed. And at that point, we will not sin. But that is in the future. So between now and then, we have to train the members of our body, that's the phrase that is used, the members of our body to do what God would have us to do. And that is the process of sanctification. The word we will see in this chapter. The process of becoming what God has put in us through the work of Jesus Christ. So, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Does it matter if we as a believer sin? Does it make a difference? Can I keep sinning with no consequences because I know that at the end of the day, Christ has to forgive me because of his promise? I mean, let's face it. I don't know about you. There are certain sins that, for me, are easy to avoid. You know, I've never really been tempted in certain directions. There's other sins, though, that, oh, well, we won't go there, (laughs) that you have to struggle with. And when you're struggling with them, sometimes it's just easier to just give in and ask forgiveness afterwards. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that just make life easier to do it that way? No. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Heck no. Oh, wait. It says by no means. That's the polite version. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Wait a minute. What does it mean that I died to sin? Well, he's going to explain it. Do you not know that all of us who, were, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, there's a discussion here about what baptism in this context means. Is it the actual dunking of you underwater? Or is it the baptism of the Spirit, where the Spirit enters you when you accept Jesus Christ? And the answer, I think, is the second. Okay? We as a church believe that baptism is a sign. It's a picture. It's an external picture of an inward reality of the salvation that God has worked in you. The baptism itself does not save you. You can sit there and get dunked into a pool of water until you drown. And you will not be any more saved than when you went in. The baptism, the water baptism, is important. Don't get me wrong. It's very important because it is a sign of obedience. It is a public proclamation that I have followed Jesus Christ. So it's important, but it is important as a sign. So what we're talking about here is the baptism of the Spirit, and what it is really talking about is our union with Christ. Remember, being in Adam... Last week's lesson, we are in Christ. And since we are in Christ, when he died, we died with him. Huh. What does that mean? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Sounds like a good baptism sermon. We were baptized, we were buried with Christ. He was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. We actually had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, I think, before Easter. Remember the fact that we discussed in the um, world today, in the Christian community, we make a really big deal about Christmas Lots of presents, lots of gifts, lots of songs, music, food, good times had by all. But Christmas is not is not, the important Christian holiday. That is Easter. You see, Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. Just like all those other sacrificial animals in the Old Testament that were the picture of something to come. He died and the blood paid the penalty of our sin. Good thing. But that's not the end of the story. Because if Christ had stayed in the grave, then it means death had won. It means that we have no hope. It means that we can never be sure what he accomplished for us. But after being crucified, after dying, after being buried, and you know the fact that he was buried does at least point to the fact that he was really dead. There's this theory, you know, that he wasn't really dead. You know, he was sort of dead. And they put him in the damp tomb, a little cool air, revived him, up he popped, out he came. I don't know about you, but a good old-fashioned Roman soldier knows when somebody's dead, okay? And if they didn't know, they made sure because it was their job to kill people. He was dead, he was buried, but then he was resurrected. And if we are going to share the experience with Christ, we too were buried with him, we too died, were buried, and we were resurrected into new life. It isn't just that Christ died to pay the penalty for our sins and all of our past sins are forgiven. It is the fact that he changed who we are. He brought new life to us. Now you're thinking, I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Sometimes it just doesn't sound that new. Sometimes I still struggle with the old sin. Yes, We'll talk at length about that in chapter 7. Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and why the things that I do want to do I can't do, O oh, wretched man that I am? Hmm, that doesn't sound very exciting until you get to chapter 8 and get to verse 1 where it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? For we are in Christ. How do we know that we are in Christ? Because we died with Him, we were buried with Him, and we were resurrected with Him to new life. It is all connected together. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. (sighs) Who is, what is, the old self? That's you, apart from Christ. That's the part of you that was born one day, Shortly thereafter, you thought of an exciting new way to sin, just to irritate your parents. And then you thought of a new way to sin, and you thought of a new way, and a new way, and for years and years and years, you came up with new ways of sinning. Now, we had this discussion last week. Do you sin because you're a sinner, or because you, are you a sinner because you sin? And I'll cheat today and give the easy answer, yes. okay. Last week's answer was different. Last week's answer was we sin because we're sinners. We were born, we shared the work of Adam. This week, I'll play it safe. By the time you are sitting in this class, by the time you are here today, trust me, you've done enough. And for some period of your life, you are living according to the principles of this world. Whatever those are, we can have a long discussion. Lust, greed, selfishness, looking after you and yours alone. But you say, wait a minute, I did some good... Yeah, you did. We all did some sort of good things. And we did a lot of sort of bad things. And our old flesh... Our old man, our old self, lived a life of doing its own thing. And that old self, when Christ died and we died with him, that old self died with him. This is not presented here as a topic of discussion, although we're going to discuss it. It is presented here as a statement of fact. He is telling us what happened. He is telling us that this happened whether you feel like you're still married. Oh wait, that was the other topic, right? Whether you wake up one morning and you feel like you have the weight of sin on you. If you are in Christ, we are to acknowledge by faith what Christ has done for us. Did you have a comment? I was going to ask a question just something in my mind about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh huh. And God said when you submit to that tree, you're surely going to die. Right. Now physically they didn't die mm-hmm. but spiritually they did. That but verse right there. Christ came and died for us that that spirit may live mm-hmm. but our flesh still is sinning our flesh still is sinning huh? but we are now alive in the spirit as we were with God back in the garden beginning of the garden meeting I just wondered if that would work yeah. we're getting to that <laughs> we have communion with God like Adam had when he walked in the garden with God. What is that communion? It is the Holy Spirit living present in us. We know, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. We know this to be true. I am not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of us know this to be true? It is interesting when you start talking about knowing things. The idea of knowledge. The idea of how we know what we think we know. I mean, there's all kinds of bizarre games that philosophers play to kind of construct this, you know, are you really here, does this really exist, how do you know anything, etc., etc., etc. But we had a long discussion several weeks ago in the book of Hebrews about the nature of faith. Faith is knowing that what God tells us is true is true. Faith means that we know certain things that are not proved using the scientific method. Now, does that mean the scientific method is null and void? No, the scientific method is wonderful for dealing with the material world. It really is. It's fabulous. It is one of the greatest achievements of Western civilization. But, comma, If I only accept as true those things that I can put in a test tube and measure, weigh, and take all kinds of material tests on, there are certain things such as love, value, worth that I will never, ever, ever understand. It used to be accepted that revelation was A source of knowledge. The fact that God says this is true tells us that it's true. God says, don't we know? We know. We know certain things. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Okay, show of hands. How many of you are enslaved to sin? Oh, wait, don't do that. <laughs> I almost got you. My wife had her hand up. <laughs> no, I think she had your hand up. <laughs> what does it mean to be enslaved to sin? It means you... Go ahead. Well, sin has a feature and a benefit. The feature is it's easy. The benefit is it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The name of that tree up there in Genesis was called Lending Tree. (laughs) (laughs) The enemy went in and virtually borrowed money they didn't have and spent it on something they couldn't afford. People they they didn't even like and they've been in debt (laughs) ever (laughs) since. We got distracted. (laughs) Sin. (laughs) Sin is pleasurable, but, comma, sin is addictive. If you don't believe that, we need to have a talk. Yes? What's that? The The devil's got you. When we are enslaved to sin, we are a puppet being pulled wherever sin wants us to go. Some of you, I don't know, but some of you have probably suffered in your life from certain full-up addictions, alcohol, tobacco, and you know the draw that that has. I remember several months ago listening on the radio, they were talking to some people who had been addicted to alcohol. They were recovering alcoholics. And one of them commented on the fact he had been sober for 17 years and he said every morning I wake up and I want to drink. And he go, wow. That's being enslaved. You see, you enter into sin thinking that it's going to be pleasurable, that it's going to be fun, and that you are in control. And before you know it, you realize or you don't realize that you have no control over the situation at all. Sin is calling the shots. And you and I, if we don't want to admit it in our own lives, know people for whom this is true. You know people who have gotten involved in sexual relations that they shouldn't have been in who have gotten involved in debt, who have gotten involved in drugs, have, who have gotten involved in something, and you sitting on the outside look at it and go, don't you know how stupid that is? But it is an addiction. It is an enslavement. Do not think ever for one minute that you can control Sin. You don't control sin. As an unbeliever, you don't. And as a believer, you don't. You just put it to death. Go to the book of Proverbs. Read about the young man being led astray by the wayward woman. And down that path is what? Destruction. You will reach the end of your life and you will moan that you have lost your wealth, your name. Everything of value has been lost because you were enslaved to sin. That 300. <laughs> yep. As an unbeliever, we are enslaved to sin. That is just a fact. The second half of this chapter that we may or may not make to, to today is about being a slave. You know, being a slave is a really bad thing. But what the second half of the chapter is going to tell us is we're going to be somebody's slave. We are going to be a slave to sin or we are going to be a slave to God. One path leads to death and destruction and one path leads to eternal life. That's the choice. You're going to be somebody's slave. As an unbeliever, as someone who was born in Adam, you are enslaved to sin. But when Christ died and was buried and was resurrected, we were in Christ and we died. The old man, the old flesh, the old self died. We died with him that enslavement to sin stopped. But don't we? Well, that's next week's lesson. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Okay, one time is enough. He demonstrated that he conquered death. He doesn't need to die again. If you're a good Catholic and you believe that every time that you participate in the Eucharist, Christ is shedding his blood again for our sins, no. Christ died once, it's over, it's done. The victory has been won. Now, if we also died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. What is dominion? The ability to rule, the ability to control. You enter this life, and you're going to die. Why are you going to die? You're going to die physically, spiritually, because of the reality of sin. We had this discussion last week that sin, because of the work of Adam and Eve, brought death into this world. It's just a fact. Death came into the world because of sin. But if Christ demonstrates his power over sin, over death, over sin, over death, He has power over both of them. How do we know that he has the power over sin because he demonstrated the power over death? His resurrection demonstrates to us that he has the power to free us from the enslavement of sin. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Who are we talking about? Christ. Christ died. Wait a minute. We were in Christ. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We were resurrected with Christ. Now Christ is living what? He is living to God. So we live To God. You following the sequence of events that is occurring here? Because he did this, because he did that, because he did this, and we shared it, we have the power that he had, the power over sin. We have the freedom that he has, and we have the life that he has But we also have the mission that he has, which was to live, is to live a life to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then, what does verse 11 say? We are. We are. I like that word, reckon. That's a good old-fashioned word. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Huh. What does that mean? Remember the structure. Here's a fact. You died to sin. Here's a fact. You were raised with Christ to new life. Here's a fact. Christ demonstrated his power to do this. Here's a fact. You are no longer enslaved to sin. Here's a fact. Here's a fact. Here's another one. And we are to consider that every day of every moment of our lives. You are to wake up this morning and consider. You are to wake up spiritually every time temptation comes into your life and you are to consider you don't have to do it absolute decision absolute decision you decide you consider once again this is not just wishful thinking I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No, it is faith, it is knowledge in what God, what Christ has accomplished for you. Somebody's phone is ringing. (laughs) Because of that reality, why don't we Reckon this to be true. Why don't we consider it as true? Because God told it to us. Why? What did Jesus always tell the disciples? O ye of little faith. We don't have the faith. We don't have the desire now, at this point, I am going to put in a caveat, okay? A little side discussion. I bring this up frequently because I do think it's important. If you are living a life today that is enslaved to sin, it could be an indicator a warning flag that you are not really in Christ. If you struggle with sin, well, welcome to the human race. As we will discuss in chapter 7, my opinion is if you're not struggling, it means because you've given up or you're dead. Okay? But if you are in fact enslaved to sin, then you need to approach the scripture, you need to approach a Christian friend, and you need to ensure that, in fact, you are in Christ. Now, we want to have this long discussion. How much sin does it take to prove that I'm... There's no way to answer that question, okay? There are people who are believers who have gotten enslaved to drugs and physically they're addicted. Are they still believers? Probably. Is it sad? Yes. Does it mean that they weren't really saved? No. It's just sad. Believers sin. But the point of this is tomorrow, today, when that temptation raises its head, you are to consider yourself dead to that sin. You are to look that sin and say, no, Christ died. I died with him. He was buried. I was buried with him. He was raised from the dead. I was raised from the dead. In newness of life, I do not have to do that sin. Will it be easy? No. No. Why? As was mentioned, sin is so much fun at the beginning, at the beginning. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but that's only half of it, and alive to God. Yes? What if you're addicted to something and you just cannot break that addiction? What then? If you're addicted to something and you just can't break that addiction, is that the question? Yes. The scripture talks about how you deal with that, okay? First off, there's prayer and Bible study. That undergirds everything that we do. But I acknowledge the fact, we acknowledge the fact that we are a community and you are supposed to seek out help within that community, There are lots of addictions that you think, you know, pornography being one of the current ones that's been in the news. You think, oh, I can give it up on my own. No, you can't. You're not going to give it up on your own. End of story. You have got to go find a Christian man, if you're a man, or a woman, if you're a woman, and you've got to say, I need you to help me break this addiction. Because it is an addiction. And we as a community are called to help each other do that. Sometimes it's not easy to do that. It is never easy to do that. It's not easy to find somebody. Well, well yeah. Mm-hmm. Our church, I know, has ministries that deal with that particular issue. We have an office called Soul Care, and in the absence of friends or whatever, you can go there and they can help you with whatever it is that, is addic- that you are addicted to. That is what their function is. Because we acknowledge the fact that this is a big deal in our society today. I mean, it's not a little deal. It's a big deal in our society today. The addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, as I mentioned. Addiction to bad relationships. Addiction to hate. Addiction to this. I mean, yes. Go ahead. Well, I think with most Christians, it's the cares of the world. Mm-hmm. That they choke it out. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, if you really want to talk about it, I mean, you know, I mentioned tomorrow when that temptation raises its head. Most of the time, particularly in addiction, but most of the time we've made the same bad choice so often that we no longer even think we're making a choice. So we don't consider because we just think. You know, somebody cut me off in traffic, I'm going to get angry with them because I have a right to get angry with them because that's what I've always done and by golly, they're going to hell for cutting me off in traffic. Isn't that the way... Okay, we'll cut out the hell part. <laughs> Isn't that the way we think? And we have to back up and consider this is the promise that promises that there will be an end to that addiction. Addiction. Will it be easy? No. I always remember hearing a pastor speak one time, and he said when he became a believer, he had two sins that ruled his life. He never said what they were. He said, I had two. And the day I was saved, I prayed that God would take them away. One of them disappeared. Never was tempted again. Ever. The other one, I fought till the day, well, till the day he delivered this sermon. Why does God do that? You know what? I sat here working through this lesson thinking, you know, there's going to be a time when God is going to remove the last taint of sin from our lives. We get to heaven and that's going to be what is referred to as glorification. He's going to do it. Why doesn't he just do it now? Why doesn't he do it the day that I'm saved? Wouldn't life be so much easier if he just did it? I have some speculation. I mean, the first answer is God's going to do what God wants to do. Why does God remove the one temptation and not the other? Because God wants us to live a life of total dependence upon him. Why is it that he says... Give us this day our daily bread. I don't want my daily bread. I want bread for the next 20 years on the table in front of me and I don't want it to spoil. Why is it my daily bread? Why did he give them the manna every morning and say don't pick up enough for two days except on Saturday, I mean on the day before that? Why did he do that? Because he wanted them to live lives of dependence upon him. What is it that that draws the community together as we work to help each other work through the temptations in our lives? Is it easy? No. Whoever said it was supposed to be easy? Whoever said that that was the way the world was supposed to be? Let not... Sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members as sin to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members as to God as instruments for righteousness. Wow, what does that mean? Easy question. What is a member of your body? Come on, this is easy. I will ask several of the doctors in this class. I texted my two nursing major daughters yesterday. Neither of them, after all these anatomy and physiology questions, could answer my question. How many named human parts are there in the human body? And, and that's the exact same answer I got. <laughs> I said, didn't you memorize them all? No. Huh? How many bones? That's just the start of it. Every one of those members, every one of those members of your body were present when you were living a life of sin. Every one of those members has been trained Operate in a certain way, and every one of those members needs to be brought over here and made to operate in righteousness. I mean, quick! An- I mean, quick! Picture this hand. This hand can slap somebody, or this hand can help somebody. Ugh. This tongue, oh, don't get us started on that. Oh, oh. What do we do with our tongue? What have we gotten used to doing with our tongue? I know that uh, I've told you this before. I think I had a coworker who was from New Jersey. This is not a statement about everybody from New Jersey. <laughs> But I actually had to take him behind locked doors for two hours one time to convince him that in the South, we don't insult people just for fun. Well, how do you talk to your friends? I mean, he was, I mean, he was dumbfounded. Where he was from, that well, we don't do that in the South. Next week, we're going to talk about presenting the members of our body to righteousness Today, there's just one lesson. Consider. Consider that you are dead to sin. If you are in Christ, it is a fact that you are dead to sin. Now, go live like it. Every moment of every day. Will you do it perfectly? No. Will you do it better tomorrow than you did today? Yes. And the next day, and the next day, yes. And that is the process of sanctification that we'll talk about next week. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the faith to believe that your word is true, that we are, in fact, dead to sin and alive to God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.